Hello, and welcome to The Upgrade, the ultimate travel podcast brought to you by Suitcase Magazine. I'm Flavor Manas. And I'm Rachel McKeon, and we're here to help you travel smarter. Unpacking Suitcase's magazine's best bits, The Upgrade is a conversation-starting podcast that brings escapism and inspiration to wherever you're listening from. Join us as we spotlight emerging trends, deep dive into up-and-coming destinations, and catch up with the people changing the way we travel including award-winning authors, iconic hoteliers, and pioneering conservationists paving the way for the modern-day traveller. Plus, we share some of their top travel tips and must-visit recommendations from around the world. Hi guys, and welcome to the first of the Upgrade Winter Special episode. It feels really good to be back after our short hiatus, I think. We last jumped on here in July. Since then, obviously, so much has happened. Travel's revival is on the up. The US is open. We have a new issue that's out. It's called Celebration, Volume 35. We will link it in the show notes for you to order your copy. And more importantly, and excitingly, I want to introduce my new co-host and Suitcase's new editor-in-chief. Hello, Suitcase readers and the Upgrade listeners. My name's Rachel McKeown. I'm Suitcase's new editor-in-chief. And I'm so, so thrilled to have her on the Upgrade podcast with me for this episode and future episodes. I feel like this is our marriage ceremony, Rachel, like 51st, what's that show called? Married at First Sight. This is co-host podcasting at first sight I think yeah let's hope it doesn't end in divorce (laughs) (laughs) so we thought there's no better way for you guys to get acquainted with our new editor-in-chief than by bringing her on the podcast introducing her to you all and also going through her best travel experiences the destinations she's got on radar and how she came to end up working for this beautiful magazine so without further ado let's get into it I'd love for you to introduce yourself to everyone and I'd love for you to share how you got into the travel industry well like I said my name is Rachel Uh, I'm Irish was born and raised in Dublin always traveled my dad works in aviation so it was a big part of my life from the get-go I was working in product development and wellness for a long time but I found myself pretty frequently in Los Angeles oftentimes visiting a school friend who's an executive producer and as you do over the years I got to know all of her friends one of whom worked at Goop a lifestyle company based out of California I'd long been a reader and um A couple of years later, that friend was leaving her post and recommended me for a new role that they'd created, which was a travel editor role, which I very fortunately managed to snag. So I got that move to LA, was the travel editor at Goop for four years before starting at this new role as editor-in-chief at Suitcase. And I am delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you. I think it's so funny because I don't know if any of you guys remember that are listening at home on a beach in a chalet in Switzerland, wherever you are, but Suitcase was once called the Goop of Travel. Oh, that's so interesting. So I feel like we've come full circle and I'm thrilled to hear that you lived in LA, Rachel, because it is one of my favorite places in the whole entire world and I wax lyrical about it on the podcast. Um, So I'm really glad we can swap 
tips and insider guide recs between us both I feel like we're headed for a really strong relationship already (laughs) one that might find both of us you know chowing down on food on the east side of LA which I hope will come to fruition sooner rather than later exactly that and where do you currently call home because it's not LA nor is it Dublin is it no I'm not in Los Angeles I'm not in Dublin and I'm only intermittently in London right now I am living in Florence Italy And what was your motivation behind moving to Florence? It's a bit random, really. I went, I've been to Florence, you know, multiple times, and I have really good friends from university who live there. And I dipped over for a month, August 2020, to visit them and just get a bit of a breather from Ireland, which had just gotten incredibly intense at that time with uh, lockdowns, et cetera, and Italy was a touch more open. So I went for a month, and then I extended and extended, and I suppose you could say I never really left. I'm so jealous. I obviously upgraded listeners will know this. I currently live in Northwest London, but wish I lived anywhere. But um, for the upgrade listeners that are traveling, obviously Italy's open. We've most of us actually went across the summer. I was in Puglia. A couple of other members of the team have been to Rome. Can you give the upgrade listeners your top five travel tips if they are traveling to Florence? Yes, I can confidently give five travel tips to Florence. I would say for visitors to Florence, get more stuck into the Altrarno area. Stay away from the tourist trail that is around the Duomo via Ghibellina. It's just so congested over there. Tip number two, do not come in August. It's an inferno. It's so crowded and it's horrid. All the other months are significantly better. Uh, Tip number three... I would say to really see the city and kind of understand its geography, I would walk the length of the Arno from the bottom to the top and back again down the other side. There's a beautiful walkway. There's also a really gorgeous cycle path if you want to hop on a bike. Uh, Tip number four, I think a quintessential experience is going to the Sant'Ambrogio market, getting a panino from the lovely gentleman at Semmel. And number five, I feel like I have to go down the food route. I would go, I'm going to give a couple of restaurant recommendations. Go for That's it. okay. I would go to Sestanza for lunch, have the artichoke omelette and the butter chicken, Defulvio for the lemon pasta, Alavecchia Betola for everything, sit outside for vino, Le Volpi e Luva, Santino, and uh, this lovely little spot that really only locals know about called Enoteca Bellini. They would be my, well, I suppose really like 10, but we'll go with five recs for Florence. <laughs> That's fine. The more the merrier. What about somewhere to stay? What about where are we checking into? Ooh, Florence can be a tough one because, you know, there's the super elevated five-star hotels, like the place. Then there's a huge Airbnb culture. But actually, a friend of mine, Betty Soldi, is a hotelier in Florence, and she has three absolutely gorgeous hotels that are kind of, how would you describe it? It sort of feels like staying in somebody's house and they're in really unique locations. One of my favorite one is called Adastra. I would definitely look into one of Betty Soldi's properties or um, if you're going with a crew, get a really great Airbnb somewhere in town. The beauty of Florence is just being able to walk out the front door and go. And uh, I think if you stay outside of town, that's just completely lost, unless you're doing a villa sitch in Tuscany somewhere, which is also... A really solid call. Pretty dreamy. And what is it like for affordability in terms of like other Italian cities? Because obviously Milan can be notoriously expensive. Rome is harder to discover on on a budget. Where does Florence sit? I personally think that Florence is very affordable. But then again, that could be influenced by my experience of living in notoriously expensive cities like London, Dublin, Los Angeles. 
I think the most expensive thing you're ever going to get stuck with is the accommodation. Mm -hmm. I feel like once you've got the accommodation sorted, the city can be so affordable, so cheap. There's amazing paninis everywhere, amazing wine, like four or five euro a glass. You can get a lot of great food on the go, pasta. Once you know where to go, it can be, I think it's extremely affordable. It's just the accommodation that really... Mm -hmm kicks things up a gear so find their airbnb yeah dump your stuff and go and explore the city exactly do your research find a great airbnb or stay at one of betty's properties read suitcase check out our florence recommendations and we will not steer you wrong but no i think i mean to live there is incredibly affordable that's great we have actually got a really good guide to florence uh online so we'll link that in the show notes um along with rachel's recommendations too I think the best way for our upgrade listeners and obviously myself to get to know you is to hear your favorite travel memories, your travel style and the kind of ventures you want to go on and you think our audience should go on in the upcoming year. So that being said, what is your first ever travel memory? Oh, I suppose when I think about this, my first ever real memory is being probably about five or six and uh, with my family missing a connection in Istanbul airport in the early 90s. I remember the airport so vividly being really dark, full of smoke because people still smoked indoors back then and very crowded and we ended up leaving and checking into this incredible hotel on the water and very early at sunrise the next day, my parents bundled us into a taxi for a bit of a whistle-stop tour around Istanbul at sunrise. And uh, I just remember it so vividly because it felt so foreign to me at the time as an Irish child of the 90s. You know, women in a bias, the street carts, the cafe culture, we twirled around the Hagia Sophia. It just was so radically different from Ireland and it's an experience that just is so seared in my memory. I think just for its sheer exoticism in a way Mm -hmm. to me at the time. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because I've been asked this question before and my first ever travel memory, we were in Tunisia uh, when I was maybe six or seven and I remember sitting on the back of a cart or like a truck, pickup truck, didn't get to wear a seatbelt which was thrilling obviously to a child I thought it was like a whole roller coaster adventure yeah, but did any of us wear seatbelts in the 90s we no, definitely you didn't yeah. get told that you couldn't put the light on in a car it was illegal <laughs> um but no I was in uh, on on the back of his pickup truck and I was surrounded by these goats and every Friday we'd take them to market and I made friends with all these goats I named them I apparently claimed to be able to tell them apart obviously I couldn't because the older I got the realized they were going to the market to be sold to a sad end. Mm, to a little bit of a sad end. So, you know, all those goats I named Billy and Graf because of their <laughs> ears and, and their markings, I obviously didn't have a clue, but it was because it was so exotic. It was so foreign. It was nothing like going to Tesco's as a child, right? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. You don't forget those moments. Not at all. And what about your most significant? Most significant, I would have to say... Um, Taking the train from Mumbai to Jaipur, I remember it so vividly because of some mock-up that I'd made. I was backpacking through India with friends and we'd missed a connecting flight, which I was actually delighted by because I far prefer taking the train anyway. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I semi-engineered it. Sorry, guys. Put it into the universe. Um, taking the night train, and I always remember I was reading Americana by Chiba Manda and Gozi Adichie, and it was like a really, you know, captivating book about race in America but I was reading that whilst on this train and I was awake all night reading and it was just kind of adjusting to the rhythm of life on that train overnight the chai wallace with the tea somebody else came with sheets and pillowcases and just 
listening to the sounds of other families and walking up and down the train carriage to the door. And I mean, the door was just open and you kind of just sat in the door with your legs outside and just looked at the countryside going past. And I really remember thinking, I probably won't do this again and just really soaking it up and feeling actually so safe and comfortable in my pajamas, just hanging out in easy silence with the other people who are surrounding me. That's a very significant memory for me. And traveling in India by train, I've, I've done it myself too. It's so romantic, isn't it? And it's a real snapshot into everything that makes up India and India's culture. Totally. Well, I think so many aspects of Indian culture just collide with the train experience. There's the managing to book the train, the finding of the right hatch to book the train from. And the right platform. And the right platform. Then the getting on the train and the finding of it. But once you're nestled in there into your little nook in the train and it gets going, it just, the rhythm of the, you know, the rhythm of life in the train takes over. And I just found that very spellbinding and actually just listening to all the sounds of the other people and kids running around and the tea kind of clattering. There's just something so comforting about it, or at least I felt that way. And I think India's beauty also comes through its chaos and there's totally. nothing more chaotic than trying to make a, tra- a train connection in no. a big city. But it's kind of a beautiful chaos because the Indians are actually so helpful and yeah. kind and generous as people and no matter how many, much trouble we got ourselves in, somebody always yeah. helped us out of it. No, exactly the same. I got stuck on a train because the monsoon season on the way to Jaslamir and we were... St- to be fair, I actually didn't realise because I'd fallen asleep and I woke up and realised we hadn't moved. We hadn't moved <laughs> from the same spot. And um, this lovely, lovely Indian lady called her brother to come get us on his moped and he literally rode through the fields and come got us and took us to the nearest city because the train was going to be broken down for days. Um, yeah, the hospitality in India is, it's is amazing. unlike anywhere else, truly. Speaking of which, what's your, the most rewarding trip that you've been on? Well, I was in Kenya back in March of uh, 2021. I was going on this female empowerment safari with Roar Africa, which is a really incredible bespoke safari um, safari design company headed up by a Zimbabwean woman called Deb Kalmar. Well, we were staying at Sagera in northern Kenya, you know, totally eco, incredible lodge retreat. But every night we had individual speakers from the people in the conservation space and I just met so many fascinating women like Dr. Lucy King of Save the Elephants, Resson Kantai Duff, who's leading lion conservation in that area. And you learn so much about intertribal communication, human wildlife conflict. It was very illuminating. And also one of the nights we had these two women, these female photographers who spent the last 40 years photographing remote African tribes. They're best friends. They've been jaunting around the place for 40 years. They're both English women. And uh, just... You'd kind of expect them to be really swashbuckling in a way, but they're just so gently spoken and just had all of us in fits of laughter with the various like scrapes they've gotten themselves into along the way on the back of mules in Ethiopia and whatnot. But uh, that was definitely one of my most inspiring trips. The other guests were, you know, femtech investors, documentary filmmakers. It was just a really riveting week. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I went to turn the tables a little bit and... I want you to share some of your more traveling travel experiences because we all know that we have them everything isn't just postcard worthy landscapes and you know what we do at suitcases we share connections and we share stories but we also keep it really real so what are some of those more challenging travel experiences oh my god where to begin airport chaos being driven by drunk demented people in thailand getting a flesh eating bacterial infection in colombia burning my trachea having a friend hospitalized in la paz because of another parasitic infection down the amazon having to deal with that get trying to get her out of hospital 
you know, my cards being frozen in Cusco, Irish, you know, hostel owner happened to be Irish, just giving me $400 in cash in good faith that I'd come back down the mountain and give it back to him. You just have to roll with it. Yeah. I just roll with it. You know what? You can't hang on to any of your possessions too tightly and you nope. just get on with it. 100%, 100%. I could talk all day about travel disasters. My total disasters, yeah. but like it's all grand at the end. Yeah. And also you look back and you just think, oh, what an experience. They're never actually as disastrous despite what they may feel no. at the time. I also am someone who romanticizes absolutely everything oh, and looks back <laughs> at everything with rose tinted glasses, which yeah. is both a blessing and a curse because it means I make the same mistakes over and over again. Absolutely. What about somewhere that didn't really live up to the hype? Hmm. Somewhere that really didn't live up to the hype for me when I was living in Los Angeles. You know, everyone's mad to go down to Cabo at the weekends. So I went down there. I just, it was not what I expected. I mean, it felt like being in a little mini version of America with highways and 7-Elevens and American prices. And I far preferred Toto Santos, which is a more rural surfing town, 45 minutes up the road. It just, I just kind of thought, you know, I mean, their hotels are beautiful and the people are lovely, but... Of all the places that you could go in Mexico, I think I'd probably be least mm. interested in returning there, to be honest. There was just something missing. Well, it just didn't feel like I was anywhere else. Mm. You could have been anywhere. You know, I think it's a hyper-Americanized, um, oh, and some people love that, yeah. you know, and it's very convenient and everything flows very easily. I think I was just expecting to feel as if I was somewhere else. Yeah, and um, a bit more wild, rugged. Exactly. Yeah. No, not a huge fan. And I ask this question a lot, but what would your, what would you say your trip style was? So for example, mine is, I love a beach city. So I love, and I love deserts, hence my love places like LA and Palm Springs and Marrakesh, but I definitely crave balance when traveling. So that beach city hybrid gives me my culture fix, but also my downtime. So with all of that, what is your destination style and what do you look for when booking somewhere? I like off the grid outdoorsy travel, which is hysterical because I'm not remotely outdoorsy as a person. I love going to Africa, despite the fact that I'm terrified of the animals on safari. I'm like praying we don't see an elephant. I love going to the fjords. I love Scotland. I just love middle of nowhere for, I mean, I think of travel and vacation as two kind of different things. Absolutely travel to me is you know it's the work it's getting on the train in India it's going around it's it's very immersive yeah. it's it's you're there to see things to do things whereas vacation for me is doing absolutely nothing yeah. and just being totally removed and I think for that reason I love somewhere middle of nowhere ish but I mean I do love cities but I associate them with work yeah. or with packing That's in a million friends you know million visits with friends dinners plans, I think of the of plans plans plans, yeah. plans and I love that too I thrive on the chaos of that but for me my vacation style is definitely off the grid what that being said so what what destination would you pick as your next to visit that goes slightly off grid oh well I'm really hoping to go and see the northern lights in January or February and I'm very interested there's a camp called Sápmi nature camp in northern Finland that I'm dying to go to I'm not really sure I think for me, for 2022, I just want to go out and see as much landscape as possible because I think, you know, with times of climate change, et cetera, this is all, it all feels very fleeting to mm -hmm. me now. So, yeah, that's kind of next on my list is the Northern Lights. I've seen the Northern Lights four times each, which is a lot. I know that. And yeah. it's, I'm really lucky to do that. I know a lot of people um, yeah. miss them per trip, but I've also seen them in 
arguably the most unromantic places car parks i've yeah. seen them in <laughs> in car parks um in iceland we were chasing to see them in anything but a car mm. park um stuck at the side of my first ever trip to iceland i went with my best friend and i think this is going back years and years and years before iceland became really popular right like it was still there's yeah. no budget airline flights and mm. and we kind of just looked at a map and was like yeah we'll go there absolutely naive traveler did not realize how expensive it is had no clue yeah it is crippling um got on a bus with like 150 other people to see the northern lights managed to bump in with two guys that we knew from school um so you know we want to get really really far away from it all and then bumped into basically our next one neighbors and we pulled up on the side of the road to watch the northern lights of 150 other guests and it was so unromantic so yeah I'm hoping experience is different I'm hoping for something a little more dreamy than that I mean I'm also very intrigued by Siberia and Karnachka in particular I read um Sophie Roberts's book about traveling through Siberia there's an amazing book by this uh it's called Disappearing Earth and I really knew nothing about that region and now that I've done a bit of reading I think oh I quite fancy going there and seeing what's what yeah, that would make a great story for an upcoming issue of, of Suitcase. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess speaking of both authentic and inauthentic travel experiences, living like a local, going beyond the usual tourist trail and discovering what matters is absolutely key to the Suitcase audience and the team itself. So what are your top tips for seeking out authentic travel? I think authentic is such a loaded word. I mean, I think the best thing, what I do before planning a trip is I love to read books by people who are from the place that I'm going to are very familiar. You know, before I ever went to Zambia, I read everything Alexandra Fuller wrote. Before I moved to LA, I read everything Eve Babbitt's ever wrote. Ever wrote. I think reading about the place before you go from the perspective of someone who knows it well teaches you what to look out for, where people really eat, what they eat. I think for shorter weekend trips... I love reading short profiles of locals giving their recommendations like Trailblazers at Suitcase, for example. Or Good plug. The, <laughs> thank you. Or, you know, the FTs to do a really nice, concise, perfect weekend in pieces. Um, but, you know, beyond all of that, I think the thing you can do to have the most authentic, to use that word, experience is get there, lace up your shoes and just hit the ground running and just yeah. walk. I just think there's in. nothing nicer than just getting lost in the neighborhood that you've settled in and if it's your first time going somewhere I understand the need to tick the box and to see everything I personally just can't stand doing that anymore so I tend to stay where I've decided to check in and just really get to know that neighborhood and I find that leads to a much more satisfying experience for me personally. I think also there's definitely a risk that if you have a really long list of places that you've seen on Instagram or Pinterest Mm. or wherever you go to like get your travel at home fix you'll there's a chance you're going to be disappointed you're going to be disappointed that they don't look lovely and filtered um you're going to be disappointed that you can't get that shop see that thing that you've seen already and I think if you go with no expectations almost you're always going to be surprised that always it's always going to surpass what you what you sought out to find and you'll find something different right and you don't want to spend a whole trip standing in line 100%. like nobody wants to spend a whole trip just rushing around yeah, ticking and boxes, yeah. taking boxes and in line I think it just is so unsatisfying and so unpleasant like I'd much rather like set up in a wine bar for the afternoon with a good friend or a book or whatever and just enjoy absolutely and people watching is basically my second sport that's real cultural immersion yeah, <laughs> it is what do you think your first trip for suitcase will be are you allowed to share yet Ooh, well 
I don't actually know fully what my first trip for suitcase will be. I would love to go to Socotra off Yemen. I'm obsessed. That is with, pretty off grid. I'm obsessed with getting over there um, just to see the landscape, the trees, the desert meeting the sea. I am mad keen for that. And as I said, I would love to go to Siberia, although I hear the mosquitoes are a nightmare in the summer. Oh and given if, if my last summer in Florence is anything to go by, I'm like... Or May dining yeah. for those. So uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll be a snowy winter excursion. Where else are you itching to explore apart from those two destinations that you mentioned? Ooh, well, there's a lot of new hotels that opened in 2020 and 2021 that I can't wait to check into. A lot of them are actually stateside. I love like a small family or individual owned hotel that's just really thoughtful. I'm dying to go to the Maker in Hudson, yeah. the newly revamped Sea Ranch in Northern Cali, which... Yeah everyone who lives on the east side of LA is always obsessed with and it's everyone's bolt hole and I'm just dying to get up and see what they've done with it um the El Rey in Santa Fe a little further afar I am dying to go to the Skeleton Coast in Namibia yep. and um for a like chic little city break I am very excited to check into the new Madame Rev in Paris oh my god I absolutely will fight you for a stay there I'm <laughs> obsessed with it we've actually done a quick profile on it in the upcoming issue of yeah um, suitcase in volume 35 celebration just another plug um for it and yeah I'm obsessed with it yeah obsessed it's oh it's everything I was I said I think I said it is like you've got all of Coco Chanel's sleekness with all the Instagramableness of Emily in Paris and the sexiness of uh, Bridget Bardo. Yeah, I think it looks quite sexy with all the it like is. rich wood and the glass, and it's a little it bit quirky is. and offbeat. And I just love that in design in a hotel. I'm not really one no. who goes for sleek minimalism, sadly. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too fond of all glass, everything. But the wood furniture that they've got, I think. They've gathered lots of different um, specialist furniture makers across Paris mm. to, to create all the all the furniture. They had this incredible um, stamp collector that sent in all of his collection or her collection. Actually, they are anonymous, so I don't know. Um, to decorate the hotel with it just is, yeah, Hunton is the hotel to to check into and to watch for twenty twenty two. Speaking of which, which destinations do you think you're going? Do you think are going to be huge for the upcoming year? God, where to start? I mean, I think on the Euro side, um, Casa Pasha opened in Formentera last summer. I've been. Um, I yeah, there, I was yeah. there too. And I thought it was gorgeous. Was and that your first time going to Formentera? It was my first time going to was Formentera. It? Yeah. And the water there, there's nothing like it. I was yeah. actually so taken aback, especially sitting in the beach bar of Casa Pasha. It feels like you're looking at a mirage. It's just so jarring, the blueness. And I think Formentera needed that property yeah it definitely uh, was missing something I think like, yeah as literally every single upgrade listener will be able to tell you I've done it IB for pilgrimage every year for 10 years and that always includes a stint in Formentera but Formentera's definitely it's always billed as Ibiza's little sister mm. but it's 100% grown up it's grown up in recent years and you can see that in the restaurants you can see that in the beach bars you can see that in the people that have gravitated and set up businesses on the island yeah. but what was missing was a really trendy hip hotel for yeah. those people and Casa Pasha 100% fits that bill yeah which brings me nicely actually onto Milan which you know Italy is always so popular with everybody but I think Milan sometimes has this 
reputation for being a little industrial, which I don't buy into at all. I think Milan mm. is such a beautiful city. A very cool new townhouse hotel, Vico, has opened there. And I think that is, you know, in line with Casa Pasha. It just was needed in that city. And I think it's going to draw a new demographic to the city um, in a way. The Greek islands, always gorgeous. Antiparos, the rooster in Antiparos. I think for destinations in Europe, people next year I think we'll want to go to where they really missed this year yeah and the year before and I think yeah I think it'll be definitely motivated by nostalgia and then on you know the newer destination front there's always new incredible spots popping up throughout Mexico I think eastern Europe people are much more interested in the natural wild outdoor beauty there I don't know I think it's interesting it's such a balance between people seeking that outdoorsy off the grid experience versus Mm -hmm. just getting their city buzz and their city fill so uh, we'll see. We're going into a new year off the back of a global pandemic. How do you think your travel habits will or have changed? Ooh, I mean, I used to fly so much. I mean, I was flying every week and was in that go mode that you don't even know that you're in because you're just so accustomed to just yeah. the grind of like home, car, airport, train, you know, whatever. And after a year and a half of very little flying I do find it much more exhausting than I used to or maybe I'm just getting old it's probably a combination of the two I do think people will well I think there'll be kind of two types of person there'll be the people who try to slow down and travel slower for longer but then I also think with all the airport faff now around all the paperwork that you have to do which you know is necessary and it's all just built in now to the process I think train travel is going to have a huge resurgence and for me I was always somebody who went with the quickest option for everything because I'm just so wildly impatient. But having done, you know, a reasonable amount of travel recently, now I'm all for the train. I mean, I took the train from Florence to the south of France and it was a true joy. I think for me, I want to travel a little bit less, but when I do go, I want to go somewhere for longer and I want less bouncing around. Yeah, we definitely, definitely have all collectively, I think, said that at Suitcase. Like, we're all really used to waking up and having to check what time zone we were in or where we were waking up in the sense that we were like constantly jet lagged constantly on yeah. the go but yeah after having it you know what nearly 18 months of, of slowing down I think we're just going to be more considerate nor more considerate and more conscious more conscious that our impacts having absolutely absolutely and I think you know I really believe in leave no trace travel where you go somewhere leave as little impact in terms of trash waste etc behind you as possible and I think for me I will only go on a trip now if I really really want to go or if it's just totally unmissable or 100% necessary for work Mm -hmm. I think just the days of like casually just fannying around Europe are kind of over and that's fine yeah I think we definitely got into a habit before the pandemic before 2020 that it was very much like tick list travel so like yeah and like tick the cele- box travel yeah and like celebrate every every celebration came with a trip every birthday home mm. party mother's day christmas it didn't matter what it was just five six seven trips a year that was deemed as normal, normal. but not necessary and mm. i think that's the difference right it's 
travel is a necessity a necessity we need it we've seen that we need it not only for ourselves and for like our own love of travel but also for all the people that their livelihoods depend on it right yeah and for conservation travel responsible travel is crucial but I do think a side a side effect of you know year one and a half of the pandemic that we're still very much in is a love of discovering what's in your own backyard and I can definitely be accused of going the opposite direction of you know never vacationing in Ireland never really spending any time there but actually you know Ireland's hotel scene is insane Mm -hmm. some of the best hotels in the world Adair Manor you know experiential led travel like Ballymaloo there's just nothing like it and I have such a renewed appreciation for what was in my own backyard. Rachel it was a pleasure to have you you're going to be hearing so much more from her as our new editor-in-chief and our new upgrade co-host. I hope you guys have enjoyed and learned as much as I have about places to visit in Florence and also heard about some of the upcoming adventures that will be sure to be in suitcase case print and on digital soon thank you so much for joining us rachel bye everyone as the world starts to open up we want to know where you're traveling next whether it be a staycation in cornwall or a trip to capri we love hearing what you're planning send us your voice notes to fleur at suitcasemag.com we'll link all of our recommendations from today's episode into the show notes alongside links to our articles that will help inspire your next adventure If you liked the show, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast listening platform you use. The Upgrade from Suitcase Magazine will be back in two weeks time. Until then, check in with us at suitcasemag.com.